Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show. Although I can't say that we're going to be doing much previewing on this one, as today we are going to be reviewing each of the matches featuring French teams in Europe this week. Marseille kicked off their Champions League campaign since 2013, the first one since 2013, as they travelled to Greece to play Olympiakos. Ren had the fantastic opportunity of starting off the group as they welcomed the Russian side Krasnodar to Roazan Park. Nice had a tough trip to the eastern bank of the Rhine as they faced Bayer Leverkusen and Lille had a trip to the Czech Republic to square off against Sparta Praha at the bad pronunciation incoming. Generali Siska Poistovna Arena. Let's go with that. I I was Googling this before that, but I just thought I'd go with it because it's such a bloody tough name to pronounce. Um, However, we're going to come to those games later. First, though, we're going to have a look back at Paris Saint-Germain's match on Tuesday against Manchester United. It was a very different affair to the one 18 months ago with the number of fans decimated and the temperature inside the ground far colder. But just as things change, the more they stay the same, as Marcus Rashford was once again the scourge of Thomas Tuchel's men as he netted a late winner to make the game 2-1 and bring all three points back across the English Channel. I'm Lewis McParlin and I have Eric Devin alongside me today. And Eric, this match finishing 2-1 to the English side, Manchester United, a complete replay of, of that European match 18 months ago. Is it not just slightly poetic that it finished the exact same way it did in the last match with Rashford getting that late winner? Uh, poetic. I mean, yeah, I think that uh, it was certainly a frustrating result and I think a somewhat surprising result. I think that you know, I don't think anybody would have expected Manchester United to be uh, the result in itself, not perhaps, but how how well organized Manchester United were, and um, you know, the, some of the surprise choices that that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had made. You know, namely dropping Paul Pogba. I think that was a a surprising choice that he'd made. Um, but yeah, I think that it was probably a merited victory, and you know, the absences that PSG had in terms of Arati and Marquinhos. Um, I think that told, and uh, uh, yeah, I think that it was frustrating, but I think that, you know, by and large, it was um, a, a, the, a, the right result. I think that, um, you know, a, a bit of legginess, I think, maybe on the parts of Mbappe and Neymar in particular, um, and I think that, that that really told. I think that these guys have been playing a lot of football lately. And it was bound to catch up with them sooner or later. And, you know, given how sharp Mbappe had looked on Friday, we were saying, oh, well, you know, how is, how is he playing like this? Just 48 hours that they're featuring for France. Well, I think that the proof's in the pudding that Neymar, you know, tr- doing transatlantic flights and playing for his country. Um, you know, Mbappe doing the same thing, having traveled back from Zagreb, uh, you know, playing three matches in, in less than a week's time. Um, you know, especially, let's not forget, he had a pretty serious ankle injury over the summer. Um, I think that just all caught up and, you know, without the experience as well of Marquinhos in the back line, I think that, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a result that should not have been surprising um, given the way the two teams set up. I mean, it was it was fine margins, but again, um, yeah, I think the PSG's shortages in terms of available players has caught up to them. Yeah, even though PSG were playing Manchester United in this match and, you know, the name of Manchester United still reigns as kind of an an historic one throughout European football and whatnot, but obviously they're not firing on all cylinders like they used to do back in the day. Do you think PSG almost didn't expect to have as much of a tough time against United as they eventually did end up having? Yeah, like I said, you know, I I think that that United were really organised. I think that... um, that back three, I mean, you know, Tuan Zebe has barely played at all. Luke Shaw is not really a center back. Uh, Lindelof has had all sorts of foibles playing for them. But, you know, they got good They got good performances, I think, throughout that defense. Um, you know, McTominay and Fred were battling hard as well. And that, that was a really hard, that back seven, as it were, was really hard to break down. Um, and I think that, you know, perhaps we could see that Mbappe and Neymar just sort of lost interest as the, as the match wore on and they weren't pressing, they weren't trying to make life hard for, for their opponents. And, you know, I think that the, you know, that their, that failure to get an early goal was, 
you know, really showed a lack of interest. I mean, PSG didn't necessarily need to win this match, but it's going to probably make finishing first in the group pretty difficult. I mean, there's no reason PSG couldn't win the, the rest of their five matches, but, you know, the same thing with United, and, you know, that could leave that could leave PSG in second place and, you know, potentially facing a very tough opponent in the round of 16. So, I, yeah, I think that... I mean, I don't know. You know, I think given how well, for example, Rafinha had played, you know, could he have made that switch to a 4 2 3 1 earlier? Um, you know, I, I think that there, there was a lot to consider here in terms of you know, what he was able to do. But I, I think that, uh, you know, li- you know, limited options and, and he was forced to, to play this way. And it, it just didn't it didn't come off, unfortunately. Because it definitely wasn't a, a first-string PSG side, you know, you can just look through some of the names. Of course, they did have the kind of preferred front three playing with Mbappe, Neymar and, and Di Maria. But as we've kind of, as you mentioned there, Neymar and Mbappe specifically, they have had a lot of issues, you can imagine, with fitness, with just how much they've been worked recently. And then if you go further back through the team, Danilo Pereira's only just signed. And Herrera isn't exactly their, their first-choice centre mid. And Abdou Diallo... Uh, playing at the centre of defence alongside Kampembe. You know, you think they would have preferred to maybe have um, Marquinhos in there. Uh, you could also have Marco Verratti in there if, if these players were fit and if these players were available. But you think ultimately <clears throat> that lack of uh, uh, having a, a first team out, you think that really kind of held them back in this match against a very organised and, and well-run Manchester United yeah. side, you know? Yeah, and it's Russ, too. I mean, you you had Chris Awa and Di Maria starting as well. These guys haven't played in a month owing to suspension. And this is their first competitive appearance, I believe, since they both got sent off and, and that lost to Marseille. And, and that was, you know, that's going back six weeks now. Um, so I think that's a, that's a factor as well. I, I, I'm pretty sure Di Maria didn't play for Argentina, so he didn't travel. But, you know... Match fitness, match sharpness is a real concern. Krizawa actually had a decent match. I, I, I will give him that. Um, he had some good battles with Juan Basaka up that flank. But, yeah, Di Maria was another one who really looked off the boil. And I think that, you know, perhaps Tuchel, rather than picking players based on name, could have done things a little bit differently in terms of looking at the players who are in form. And, again, don't get me wrong. I know Di Maria is a fantastic player. He's been one of the best players in France in the last 18 months. But again, you you're trusting your your Champions League fortunes to a player who hasn't set foot on a pitch in a competitive match, um, yeah, since since September, and and that showed. Um, so you know whether it was weariness on the parts of Mbappe or Neymar or, or rust on the parts of Di Maria or Kozawa, um, you know there were certainly a lot of questions to be asked in terms of who was in form as you know air quotes who's in form for this match and i i don't know that uh tuchel necessarily got things right in this regard you know you know maybe would it have been possible to start rafinha would it have been possible to start pablo sarabia who was excellent at the weekend um so yeah i, I think in hindsight uh, things could have been done a little bit differently um do you really need that midfield of Pereira, herrera and, and gay to start against against united Especially when you when they're playing, you know, fairly ostensibly negative uh, three four one two. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I, I'm not calling for Thomas Tuchel's head, but I can understand why fans of the club uh, would be upset given the way he he lined this team up and and given the selections he made in terms of personnel. Let's go on to Tuchel then, because he has been very much under the spotlight. You know, it was only a month and a half, a month ago, two months ago that PSG were appearing in a Champions League final. But it seems that every time he trips up, he could be <clears throat> he could be going out the door pretty much, as kind of always seems with Tuchel these days. How would you think he'll review the match then personally? Will he look at these limiting factors that affected his team lineup, or do you think he'll look at something within him and say, okay, maybe I made a mistake here, a mistake there? You know, you mentioned the omission of of, uh, of Rafinha in the team. You know, how, how do you think he will review the match him personally? Well, I think he should have been more positive. Like I said, he that switch to four two three one created some good moments, um, but you know, I, I think that that. Yeah, PSG got done on the counter, and that's that's something that I don't necessarily 
have that much faith in because PSG like to play on the counter. So, you know, if you're if you're playing a three man midfield and you're you're seeding the midfield to to hope to play on the counter, I, I'm not really sure what what do you expect the outcome to be. I think Tuchel, yeah, Tuchel got this wrong. He should he should look at himself. Um, I know I know you can't not play Neymar. You can't not play Mbappe uh, in a match of this magnitude. But again, you know the choices that he made around them, I think, were certainly questionable in terms of the player's form. Um, and and that comes down to him. He's the one who's seeing these guys every day in training and and knows what sort of shape they're in. So you know if he makes one mistake, if he makes two mistakes, if he makes three mistakes. Um, then, then that starts to add up. And against a team that you know is not the main United of old, but is still a very talented team, um, you know Marcus Rashford especially. Um, yeah, I mean, it ends up telling, and and it's uh, it was definitely a stumble uh, to start PSG's um, Champions League campaign. So you can look at Tuchel and kind of see the issues with his lineup and maybe the errors that he made here and there. But do you think there are be and a lot of the point the fingers are being pointed at Tuchel following this. But when you look through the tools that he has at his disposable at his disposal outside of obviously the famed front three and maybe Kaylor Navas, Fresno Kimpembe, players like that, you know, top top players. If you look at the midfield that was played, and you know, like you said, it may have been too defensive. People had issues with it, but the players that were playing there address a gay i think people can agree generally is a pretty solid player very very good player especially has been for everton has been for psg but then if you look at the guys beside him ander herrera danilo Pereira, you'd always have to look at those two guys yeah they played they can play okay you know herrera had some good matches in the champions league towards the end of it but you don't exactly look at danilo Pereira, who's on loan from porto and ander herrera who was picked up on a free from united and go yeah they're two players who are world class and should be leading psg through a Champions League campaign, you know? So are there maybe other people in potentially the transfer department that the fingers could be pointed at? Because you look at that midfield and you look at those players, Pereira and Herrera, and go, you know, I, I don't think they're probably of the highest quality that a team like PSG should be playing with. What's your opinion on that, Eric? Uh, I think that there's some merit to that. But I, no, again, I think this comes back to Tuchel. Okay, you're bringing on. You, you take he he makes an attacking change at at halftime, brings off Gay and brings on Kane. Keen. Um, but Keen was pretty poor against Nîmes. Why not bring on Sarabia? Why not bring on Julian Draxler? Why not bring on Rafinha? Why not bring on players who have been effective this season? I know Draxler seems to be sort of out in the cold. I don't know why. I mean, he he had that that goal against Mess. Uh, he's certainly a capable player, but he doesn't even get a chance to see the pitch. Um, yeah, those are those two choices are down to Tuchel, and it's it's frustrating uh, to see that um, that he didn't react more quickly, that he and that he didn't he they made the choices that he did. I mean, Pablo Sarabia has had a great start to the season. He comes on with ten minutes to play. I, you know, I, you've got to be more proactive. You know, I, I understand that you know PS, PSG were pressing, but then you get caught out as they did, and then you you're left rather than trying to get a win to you know, to, to, to being bottom of the group or not bottom of the group, but to, to dropping points, I guess, because, uh, uh, Basaksa here had lost by more than this, but I, again, you know, the, the point stands, the, the, the initial lineup was less than ideal. The substitution patterns are less than ideal. The tactics were less than ideal. Now, again, you know, yes, you know, I, I think that the quality of a Tiago Silva, the quality of an Edison Cavani, is missed. The quality of a Tom, Tom Munier at right back. The qualities there is missed. But again, even with Verratti out, even with Marquinhos only fit enough to be on the bench, there's, there still should be enough in this side if you set them up positively enough and think about the form that the players are in to have success, even against a well-organized Manchester United, and that comes down to Tuchel. I, I, I don't think he can hide from that or shrink from that, and he needs to, he needs to take that responsibility and take it on the chin. Again, I, I, I'm not saying it should mean his job or should put his job into into question, but he got this wrong. 
So what what do you think about the the Tuchel out talk? You know, there have been reports coming out that you know potentially the board has been asked to replace Thomas Tuchel with you know there's some big names that are kind of being linked with the job at the moment: Pochettino, Allegri, Blanc, Thiago Motta. I'm not saying if it should be sat or it shouldn't be sat, but what do you think of the whole conversation? Do you think it's a bit too early to start making those quips? Like I said, this is a guy who's just come out of a Champions League final. Um, and he's already been linked with with the job center. <laughs> what do you think of it as a whole? Yeah, it's too early to make the to make those decisions. Um, but again, you know, if we're talking about you know maybe Mbappe wanting to be off next summer, uh, if if Neymar is distracted, and he's Neymar's twenty nine this season. He's he's not a kid anymore. He, you know, this is his fourth season at PSG. I, you know, these guys. Time is ticking. Four four seasons is eternity in the football world. And if PSG's hierarchy don't think that Tuchel's the man to lead them back to the back to that Champions League final and to that Champions League trophy, they're within their rights uh, to to let him go. Again, I don't think it's necessarily fair, but the club have a state, stated ambition. They've had the entire time they've been under under Qatari control, under Qatari investment, and that is to. That is to win the Champions League. Um, and again, you know, with this cadre of players they have who, you know, again, Di Maria is not getting any younger. Navas, Navas isn't, isn't young either. Um, there's, the, it's got, it's, I mean, it's, it, I hate to say now or never, but it kind of is starting to feel like it is. So how much damage do you think this has to PSG. This seems so so stupid to say, like this early into the into the campaign. But how much damage does this does this do to PSG's chance of progression? You know, it's only two teams going to the next round. It's very cutthroat, and you've you've got Manchester United who looked good against PSG playing, and then you've got RB Leipzig who we know are a quality side. You know, how much of a hit would that be if PSG did finish third and they like dropped into the to the Europa League? It, it would be a bit of a fall from grace and and quite a. Uh, oof, quite hard news to fall in Paris, wouldn't it? I mean, that would that would be the end of Tuchel if they didn't get out of the group. <laughs> no questions about it. Yeah, I mean, again, Leipzig are a decent side. We we know um, we know Nagelsmann's a good coach, but um, you know, losing Timo Werner, um, they're not the potent attacking force that they they have been. Um, you know, and you'd expect PSG to get four or six points out of them, and that that would be enough to progress, assuming they beat Bizaksha here home and away. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's it's a problem. I mean, a draw, you know, uh, I wouldn't have been great either, but it, it would have kept distance between between PSG and 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 um, and the other teams around them. But uh, yeah, I mean, losing. Uh, makes this a very puts a lot more pressure on that those two matches against Leipzig that's the problem um you know it's one thing to approach a match that's going to be tough no matter what it's another match another thing to approach a match that's going to be tough with additional pressure on top of it you know if they had won this match and they had points in their pocket as it were um you know perhaps they would have you know not felt this tension not felt this pressure that that I'm sure that the squad does at this point in time and Tuchel does so after this defeat, PSG losing 2-1 at home to Manchester United. They now, after one game, sit third in Group H of the Champions League with Leipzig on top on goal difference and Manchester United just behind them also on three points. We'll have to see how PSG do in their other matches and if they do still have a chance of progressing. But this was, I feel, a missed opportunity for PSG to really put down a statement of intent this year and to really show their quality. You know, they, they had the opportunity at home to do it, to right the wrongs of 18 months ago but they ultimately failed to do so. Let's move on to another French club that was involved in the Champions League this week, and it was Olympique de Marseille. You know, they were making their first appearance in the Champions League since the 2013-14 season. They were away to the Greek side Olympiakos, and despite a lot of hustle and bustle for most of the match, in stoppage time, Ahmed Hassan got the winning goal for Olympiakos, giving the three points to the Greek side, then winning 1-0 in this match. And if you look at Marseille's group 
for this year of the Champions League. You know, we, we you know it's always going to be tough in such a competition, but in Group C with Man City beside them, Olympiacos beside them, Porto beside them, you had to say this match, even though it was away against Olympiacos, this was probably their easiest easiest team of the group, Eric. So does this just show how hard this campaign is going to be for Marseille if they do want to progress from their group? Yeah, it, it really does. I, and I, oh, I, again, I have to take some issue here with the, with the manager. Um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Pop Gay had a decent match, but Benedetto was poor again. Um, I think that Sanson and Rangier playing both of them is a little bit too prosaic in that midfield. Um, they they didn't offer enough pressure on the flanks. I mean, Rafinha and Holabash were getting forward, you know, at will almost. Um, and, you know, Valbuena had a good match as well. I mean, Al-Arabi, you know, the, the Olympiaco striker, had lots of chances as well. I mean, uh, they it, they also had a goal nearly ruled out for offside. Um, did Olympiacos. Um yeah, so, uh, you know, I think that Marseille are lucky to have come away with this result, given how poorly they played. Um, you know, Mandanda had a strong match, but, I mean, I, there's not really a whole lot this team can take can take away from this in terms of credit. I think that, um, yeah, there's just really a lack of attacking options, and you look at uh, the substitution patterns as well, it's like, you know, throwing stuff at a wall to see what'll stick. I mean, Luis Enrique, you're bringing on an 18-year-old with no real pedigree in a Champions League match. Um, you know, I know Cuisance had a, had a decent match at the weekend, but why is he not introduced earlier? Uh, yeah, just, I don't know. I, I was really disappointed with, A, how negatively Marseille set up, and B, um, that the, the, the choices that... Um, that V.S. Boas had made in terms of uh, terms of substitutions and and the changes that he'd made. So, yeah, I just I don't know. I I think that um, yeah, I, I think that again, this is another manager who got things wrong. Um, yeah. Do you think almost Marseille have? They potentially may approach this campaign in the Champions League a bit tepid because of the history. You know, they've not been in the competition for many years. The financial situation at Marseille isn't fantastic at the moment. And you can't say that there's been loads of investment, at least in the first team. You know, going through the lineup um, the other the other night, you can only see Papagay as the only player that's been purchased over the summer and put in that side. And that's quite rare. You know, when a team gets into the Champions League, they kind of throw everything at the wall and, and put a lot of investment into it but outside players that sat on the bench you know outside the first team that that hasn't really happened so do you think they have reason to go into these matches feeling a little bit like oh you know maybe a bit nervous just coming back into these matches they're not at home they don't have a big home crowd to support them they're going up against a, a team like Olympiacos that can be tricky they've got a lot of um experienced heads Holabash is 36 Rafinha has been there done that 35 Valbuena they'll know all about at 36 Yanam Villa as well in the midfield you know it's Olympiacos is a tricky team and I, I think they kind of put Olympic they put Marseille's tepidness to the sword in my opinion what do you think about that yeah, you know, it's there's definitely a lot to be said from that. That the experience that these that so much of Olympiacos' side does have does make a difference. Um, but I think more than anything, it's it's tough, right? Um, you know, Mo Muhammad Ali, are, who's a regular on the show on Monday, and I were talking uh, about that with Pierre Paul, and the idea is, what is Marseille's aim here? Um, it's a relatively easy group. Porto are out of sorts. Um, you know, Olympiacos, maybe we thought on paper could be had. I, I think that they're a much stronger team than I, I, I gave them credit for. I'll, I'll say on the, on the balance of their performance, like I, I would take them as favorites to go through now. Um, you know, they, they looked sharp, well-organized, uh, great. There's their center, their center backs were fantastic as well. Um, but the the idea is, do Marseille think about consolidating and focusing on the league, or 
do they with their grand tradition of success in Europe, thinking about, um, you know, that Europa League final a few years ago, the fact that they're the only French team to have won the Champions League, do they make this their focus? And it seems to me that with his his substitutions and his, his rotation of the squad, what little he can do, again, he doesn't seem to have a lot of second or third choices. Um, it doesn't seem that V.S. Bosch has his mind made up, really. Um and I think that that's problematic, that he's really risking, uh, you know, doing poorly in both the league and in Europe if he doesn't definitively make one or more of, of these, one of one or the other, a priority. And I, again, I, you, you know, the, the way that the schedule is with the Champions League right now is that you play matches, I believe it's in every every other week for three weeks. Is that is that that's correct, right? Yeah, I think so. Well, I know there's another match next week. I'm not sure if there's a week off before, but um, yeah, the point stands that <clears throat> you know it's going to be going to continue to be challenging for Marseille, and I, I think that he needs to think critically about a how to best set this team up. I think that Kuisans's performance at the weekend is encouraging. He should be in that 11 week in and week out um, to give him the chance to develop and to be a, the creative force that Dimitri Payet doesn't seem like being. But also that he needs to make decisions to he's got these players that are a little bit older and that, you know, could could use some rest. I mean, again, let's not kid ourselves. Florian Tovan didn't play last season. What's his overall level of fitness? Dimitri Paye is 33. What's his overall level of fitness? I mean, I think you know, Tovan had some decent moments on Wednesday evening last night, um, but Paye left off the pace. Um, yeah, so I, I think that he. It's it's tough to to want to take a flyer on on Europe given the group's not particularly strong around them. But at the same time, I think we can the competition to be back in the top three looks really really strong. Um, and Marseille need to figure out which one of those competitions upon which they're going to focus and quickly because this could become you know I want to say a lost season, but a really a really disappointing campaign very very quickly. What do you think they should concentrate on? After this result, I'd say the league. I think that that we've seen the sides that uh, Nice put out, the side that Ren put out, uh, the side that Lille put out this evening. Um, those teams want to concentrate in the league. And I think that if we look at those teams and you know probably throw Leon and Monaco in there as well, you know that group of six or six teams or seven teams. That's gonna. Those are the teams that are gonna comprise the top places in Europe. That are gonna comprise the European places. And I think that you know, if Europe is not a concern, that Ren and Lille are probably clear favorites for second or third. But because those two sides are going to have to rotate, and Lille, let's be honest, don't have a great amount of depth. Um, they did rotate a little bit tonight. We'll get onto that later, I'm sure. But. Um, but I think that Marseille should, I know it's painful to hear probably from Marseille fans, Marseille should take the league and make that their focus. Because there is, especially in these next six to eight weeks, during the group stage of, of the competition, there's a chance, while their domestic rivals are rotating their their squads, to turn in more performances like they did against Bordeaux at the weekend, and to make up some ground, and to put pressure on that top three, and maybe get themselves into the top three. We've... Sh- Andre Villas-Boas has shown that even with limited resources, he's able to consistently grind out results domestically, which is no easy thing to do in Ligue 1. There are a lot of challenging matches. There are a lot of negative matches. There are a lot of defensive matches. But Villas-Boas was able to do that last year. He was able to power Marseille to a pretty impressive second place. And, you know, with with roughly the same squad, um, he should be able to do that again um, if he doesn't let Europe be a distraction. Yeah, the, the thing with Marseille as a whole is obviously they're, they're back in the Champions League for the first time in a while. And when you achieve that as a club and, and a club like Marseille that's got a lot of you know stature behind them, a lot of history behind them, you would look at that and think, OK, this is something that Marseille kind of want to make a tradition now, that they just kind of always get into Europe. They always get into the Champions League and they kind of do it every year. So you can understand why they wouldn't, even though it seems ironic, even though they've got into the Champions League, they wasn't they wouldn't actually concentrate on it because then they would drop out it next year unless they won it. But obviously, that's quite that's a, there's a low chance of that happening. 
I, I know what you say about them probably should be focused on the league. I just think, I don't know if there's a more like romantic way to look at it, but I just think if you worked so hard, you put so much work in last season under Velas Boas and everything seemed to click in the league last season. And obviously a lot of that was because they didn't have any European ties to kind of hold them back. So it allowed them to push ahead while other teams were playing Thursday, playing Wednesday, Tuesday. I, I just think if you're Marseille, you should maybe just give it a bit of a go. I know you've lost one match to Olympiacos, but it's, you know, it's such a big opportunity. Imagine getting to this spot and then, like you say, you, you lose out on both. You don't qualify in your Champions League group and you also finish like sixth in the league and it just completely like, kills your European dreams. It would just be such a shame. And I think the money that you can get from the Champions League from getting into some of the early knockout stages would be beneficial for the club as well. But I know what you mean. They do need to make a bit of a, a decision here. But as it stands after one match with this 1-0 defeat away to Olympiacos, they sit third in the table with Manchester City on top, Olympiacos just behind them uh, on goal difference, and then Porto sitting fourth as they lost 3-1 to Man City in midweek. We'll have to see how Marseille compete in their other European matches and how they choose their lineups and how they really take to those games to see what they're going to do this season and what they're going to concentrate on this season. Let's move on to another French team that was in action this week, and this was Stade René as they hosted FC Krasnodar from Russia. Ren actually opened the, sto- the scoring through Serhu Guirassi scoring a penalty, but quickly after Christian Ramirez pegged it back and the game eventually finished 1-1. And once again, similar to Marseille, if you look at Ren this season and the teams that they're going to be playing against in the Champions League, you know, the teams they're going to be going up against, you have to look at this match and say it was probably their best opportunity of three points, but 1-1 at home with a bit of a crowd behind them. It wasn't the best result that they'd be looking for or expecting, was it, Eric? A 1-1 no. draw? No. This was really a heartbreaking match, honestly. Um, you know, uh, Krasnodar had had absences in the form, form of Remy Cabela, Wanderson, Ari, you know, three of their 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 important attacking players. Um, and I know, you know, Ren had... Ren were sort of getting back into into things themselves. I mean, the loss of Rafinha, I think, is is an important one. I like Roman Del Castillo, but I don't think he's of a quality to start um, in the Champions League. I know he did, but I think that we I like to see Jeremy Doku make that that spot his own. But yeah, I mean, they had a lot of chances to win the match near the end. Um, the goal that they did concede was a worldie. I mean, I, not a worldie, but it was a really good goal. Look it up. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. This was this was difficult to to uh, to see for Ren, and I because I I ugh, you know the fact that Chelsea and Sevilla drew means that things are still level. But if you were to look at the six matches that Ren are playing in the Champions League group stage, this one, especially given the circumstances of Krasnodar's absentees, this would have been the one that you would have to circle and say yes, they have to get three points here. Now again, stranger things have happened. They could go to Sevilla and pinch a win. Um, you know they. They did beat uh, Sevilla's uh, city rival Betis back in back in 1819. Uh, I know this Sevilla side are, are a much higher standard, but yeah, Ren have Ren have the individual quality to break a match open. They have a solid defense. They're good at set pieces, um, but they were just missing that little bit of a of a cutting edge in front of goal on on Tuesday evening, and and they ended up paying the price for it. Um, you know, I. Ren, you know, speaking of depth and balance, I mean, do have the depth to do this. If you look at the players that were on the bench, you had Clement Grenier, you had James Leo Saliki, you had Doku, you had Flavian Tay, uh, Daniele Rugani, uh, Adrian Truffer, the young left back who's been excellent, uh, Fetou Mawasa and Mbain Young are still to come back from injury. Ren have the depth to compete on both fronts. Um, I just think it's a matter of Julien Stefan keeping that, that side well organized and getting, those, getting the new players, uh, namely Doku, uh, into the side and 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 playing sharply that and to give them that cutting edge that they're going to need to continue to uh, break teams open because they they struggle a little bit in the league I think they drew each of their last two matches against Dijon and Rennes if I'm if I'm not mistaken um, so this is three draws in a row so you know they're they're going to have to do some I don't know, I say soul searching they're going to have to to consider um, things a little bit. You know, moving moving into the weekend, they've got Angers tomorrow, um, and then Sevilla on Wednesday. 
Um, so they've got every chance to to right the ship, as it were, and quickly. Um, so if Stefan can get the balance right and and get things to be get the team to be a little bit sharper in attack, um, I think that this is a setback, yes, but not an insurmountable one in terms of their hopes to say come third or to even to even uh, pip one of Sevilla or Chelsea to one of those top two spots. The unfortunate thing is when you look through Krasnodar's side and you're like you said they did have absences Remy Cabela kind of being the most known French one from that side you know they were missing some key players and then you go look at their league standing they're sitting seventh at the moment in a, in a 16 team league in, in the Russian Premier League which also just doesn't really scream great signs for Ren. but even though they didn't win the match if you looked at the stats you know it was 62% possession they had 20 shots compared to 10 seven on target you know, they did control a lot of the match. I know you've not had the chance to, to watch it fully back, but they did control a lot of the match. So even though they didn't get the win, get the three points, they had their opportunities. And must that fill the team with a little bit of confidence, even though they didn't manage to get the win? Going up against Chelsea, going up against Sevilla, they know that they can create things. They can create things on a European stage because this this was always the the conversation about Ren. You didn't know how they were going to do with the step up to the Champions League, but they showed against a fellow Champions League side, doesn't matter if it's from Russia, San Marino or Spain, they managed to kind of match them and they managed to do really well. Um, so going into this campaign, do you think they'll fill them with a little bit of confidence, even though they didn't get the win? I think confidence is a strong word. I, I think that's a, I think it's a strong word. I think that um, especially the opportunities they had right at the end of the match, they they are going to kick themselves for not getting not coming away from this at three points. Um, uh, but also, I mean, you know, to balance this out, out a little bit, um, it's a it's a Champions League debut. You know, I I think and, and you know aside from Nzanzi, I, I you know most of these players hadn't played in the Champions League. I mean, maybe Dalbert had played some qualifiers with Nice, and I'm kind of struggling to... to th- Terrier's played with Leon. Um, but yeah, he, there's not a whole lot of experience in terms of in terms of European play uh, within that squad. So I think maybe even if some of these guys had been with the team uh, when they made that that run to the round of, last, the run, round of 16 in the Europa League... Um, it's like the Champions League, even even in front of a diminished crowd, is still a big deal. I mean, let's 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 not uh, mince words about it. Um, so if you if we can sort of balance out the idea of overcoming the occasion um, with a little bit of frustration, I, I think that they can use this as as a building block. I mean, they weren't again their campaign's not in tatters. They have every chance of, of making it to the Europa League, which I think that they should try to do um, if they were to, were, to, were to come third, if they were to win, say, away in Krasnodar, should get a surprise result against one of Sevilla or, or Chelsea. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I would say, it, it, given the, the import of the occasion, I think that it was not necessarily an awful result. Um, and if the players can, can properly contextualize the fact that um, this was, you know, for all, for most of them, a, a, you know, a Champions League debut, um, that they can they can build from that, but it, it's going to take some, you know, proper perspective for them to to feel that that's the case. Uh, how do you think Julian Stefan will will deal with this season? His first one uh, in the Champions League, you know, he only just turned forty, still a very inexperienced coach generally, and and with Ren. But how do you think he'll take to the occasion, to the to the entire tournament? Do you think he'll relish it? Absolutely, I, I think that you know he, you know, as keen observers of Ligue 1 will know, this is the league's brightest young manager. But I don't really think that he has much of a reputation outside of outside of France, um, from my understanding. Uh, you know, I know he was in charge uh, when they, you know, they had they had that result over Betis and 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 you know, kind of took Arsenal to the wire, but. He was he may have even still had the interim tag at that point. Um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure when he was made permanent manager of Nice um, or of, of Ren. But um, yeah, I think that I think that he's got the tools at his disposal. The club have backed him. You know, again, I rather would have seen Rafinha stay. I like that Doku has potential, but I, I feel like you know we were we were really starting to see the best of Rafinha, and to see him leave 
uh, was frustrating. I, I'm sure wages were a concern there for him, um, but he's got the squad to do it. Uh, he's got, you know, exciting players, um, players who are in form. Look at Girassi, look at Kamavinga. Um, and yeah, I, I think that he's he's got every chance to show, you know, on a bigger stage, you know, just what he can do when he's given the proper resources. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's a shame because a lot of times we see managers who succeed in France, you know, and it's in relative terms. It might be like, I don't know, say Thierry Loray seeing Strasbourg win the Coupe de la Ligue or, or David Guillon getting uh, getting Rennes into Europe, right? These are the sorts of quote-unquote successes that we, we think about in France or, or Sente doing so well in the Europa League with Christophe Galtier or same thing with Jocelyn Gorbanek winning the Coupe de France with, with Guingamp. Um, but to see a well-resourced team under a good manager being given a chance to make a statement in the Champions League, I think is a good thing. And I think it's going to do a lot for the, the proverbial star of, of Julian Stefan, as, as it were. You have to say it's a fantastic opportunity for, for he's still an extremely young manager and one of the best coaches, if not the best coach coming out of France at the moment. I just hope that nothing stupid happens, you know, his job doesn't come under threat if this Champions League run doesn't go doesn't go well. I don't think that will happen, but I just hope he's still given the opportunity and given the finance to really take this Rennes side to the next level. But with this 1-1 draw, Ren at home to Krasnodar, that leaves Ren second in the group uh, with Chelsea and Sevilla third and fourth due to them drawing 0-0. At the moment, Krasnodar are top. I'm going to say that's purely on alphabetical order. Oh no, it might be on away goals. <laughs> might be on alphabetical order of name though, so that'd be hilarious if they went through on that. Uh, <laughs> let's go on to our fourth match of the night though. This was another French team involved. It was Nice, Patrick Vieira his niece they traveled to Bayer Leverkusen and I, I don't know what the nice word is to use here but they got thumped 6-2 it finished Leverkusen scoring six goals Nidiam Amiri Lucas Alario Musa Diaby Karim Bellarabi got two and even the 17 year old Florian Verts all putting Nice to the sword with just Amini Guiri and Alexis Claude Maurice getting the goals for Nice so, Eric, is Guidi going to need a chiropractor anytime soon? Because he's <laughs> carrying so much weight on his back right now, carrying Nice forward. Um, I. Huh. So, the two goals that the buyer scored to open the match were frustrating. But then we saw Nice push back and have some chances. Kamara hit the outside of the post. Um, and they looked sharp going forward. And I said to myself, this could be something. If we, if we, they could play this sort of 3-4-1-2 with, uh, you know, maybe Lopez behind a partnership of, or Renan Laid behind a partnership of, of Guiri and, uh, and Dolberg uh, with Schneiderlin and, and um, Lise Malou sitting a little bit deeper. This, this looks like it has some promise. You can put a towel on that right flank, Kamara on the left. But then... You know, the normally reliable Walter Benitez was poor. Uh, Donch looked his age. Yeah, this was not this. They just, you know, had they just had the run of play. And, you know, Peter Bosch, I think, is a manager who, you know, has had his struggles, but I think is also a really fantastic attacking manager. And I think he, you know, he he saw blood in the water, given how that how the match started. And and the team just, you know. Kept building from there. I mean, you know, Bellarabi scores a brace and within ten minutes of coming on. I mean, that's that's really all all you need to know. I, I so yeah, I don't know. I I okay. I mean, the other thing too is right. We look at this group. I mean, Hapoel Beersheva and Slavia Prague. I, you know, I I don't I can't confess to having watched either of those teams, but. Uh, nice have already played their toughest match in this group. So even though it's a just disheartening result, I still feel like they've got a good chance of going through. Um, and I do feel like that, I do feel like, you know, Patrick Vera can, you know, keep working on things a little bit more to, to try and get the balance right here. Um, but I did see some, despite the final result, I saw some promising signs tactically from this side that perhaps playing a three a three a three four one two 
could have could could begin to pay dividends um, given just how fantastic Camera and Atal can be uh, playing as playing as wingbacks if if he can get the balance right at the back. So with this defeat, six goals, you know, it, it's the most goals that any team conceded in Europe this week. And these are obviously a team with high ambitions at the moment with the recent takeover, you know, say what you will about, about Vieira, but one of the reasons that he was probably kept at the helm is that good for Markson, <laughs> but also he's got a good reputation throughout his, throughout his playing career and whatnot. But for them to go into this game, Europa League first game of the season, and concede six is this, I don't know if I'm a bit too early, but Vieira's already been under um, criticism. Is this almost it for Vieira? Is there is there any coming back from this, conceding six? You know, if they just lost this match like many teams, that like many people expected them to, that would have been fine. But to concede so many goals um, when this team two years ago was one of the best defences in Ligue 1, you know, is that just almost quite embarrassing for Nice as a club at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it is, but also... Let's let this play out. They've got Lille at the weekend, um, who are the leaders in the league at home. Um, how would we feel about Vera if Nice were to win that match? I, I think that this would quickly be forgotten in terms of result. I have to be honest. Um, you know, this when we look at this team, right? Like, you know, obviously, you know, Ronnie Lopez has played a little bit in Europe. Um, Morgan Schindelin, same. Donch, same. The rest of this team, you know, is either young or hasn't played in Europe. Um, and I think that, well, Dolberg, I guess Dolberg had played with, with Ajax when they made that, that run to the final in, was that 16-17? Um, but again, the, the point stands, this is not an experienced side. Um, there are, you know, they are still sort of figuring things out um, in terms of, in terms of tactics, in terms of in terms of personnel, so I I, I don't have a ton of faith in Patrick Vieira, but I don't think that he should be nailed to the mast for this particular result. This is always going to be a challenging match. Um, you know, say you know, come Christmas, Nice are fourth in the league and into the round of 32 in the Europa League. This result, you know, won't matter, and he's got. He's got the attacking talent to do it. Uh, you think about Atal, Lopez, Guiri, Dolberg, Claude Maurice, if he can find for, find form. There's a lot of there's a lot of attacking options there. Uh, it's not something that Nice have really had in recent seasons. I, I think that we think back to Vera's first season in charge, they were sort of succeeding, you know, just by dint of working hard and being defensively sound. But I think, you know, Ren Adelaide as well. The, the Adjustment this team is going to have to make under him to be to go from being defensively well organized and soundly principled to being a little bit more open means they're going to have to suffer some black eyes like they did tonight, just in terms of getting that balance right. And I think that's really what we came away with uh, on the evening. Mm-hmm. So they didn't take any points away from this game in the home fixture. There's going to be a lot of bets that are going to be on the Leverkusen side of the match. You know, people won't expect them to get points from that game as well. But if they are looking to get out of this group, how many points are they expecting to get from Beersheva and Praha out of the 12 points? What, what would they be expecting to get? All 12? I think nine or 10 would be enough to see them through. You know, I think, yeah, because I don't I don't see either of those other sides, you know, doing the double or even winning a match against against Bayer unless Bayer put out a reserve team for the fifth to sixth match. Um, so yeah, I, I think that they're in good shape, you know, nine or 10 points from those four matches and maybe hope for a draw or even a win against Leverkusen. And then you're, you're where you want to be. Um, it's, it's not a, um, it's not by any means, a um, an insurmountable, uh, deficit. Okay, interesting. Well, after this first round of fixtures, Nice are pinned to the bottom of the group at the moment with Leverkusen in first, Hapoel Beersheva of Israel in second, and Slavia Praha in 
third uh, Nice only sitting on the bottom of the group because of how many goals they conceded <laughs> against Leverkusen uh, okay the final match we're going to have a look at was the fifth French team involved in Europe this week and it was Lille as they travelled away to Czech Republic to play Sparta Praha Sparta Praha eventually went down to 10 men, um, but Lille took advantage of this, winning 4-1 with Yusuf Yazici getting a hat-trick and Jonathan Ikoni also getting involved in the goals. Eric, finally, a good French performance. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was it was solid enough. I, I think, for me, you're going away to a team from from the Czech league that doesn't have a lot of standout players, uh, isn't a strong league. Uh, the results to be expected, especially when going to, with the host having gone down to 10 men after 20 minutes. Um, but I think what I did like from this result is that Christoph Galtier was able to rotate. If you think about the, the players, Yuzichi is not a regular starter. Sheka is not a regular starter. Wubakari Samare, Jonathan Ikone, Domagoj Broderich had a decent match as well. The fact that he was able to rotate and still turn in a convincing performance, again, albeit against 10 men, is really important because I think that that shows that Lille are going to be able to put some effort into, the, into this Europa League campaign, which I think they should. Do I think they can win? No. But do I think they can make some noise? Absolutely. I think that the more this team comes closer to coalescing in an attacking manner, the more dangerous they're going to be. We know how well organized they are at the back with Sven Butman and, and Jose Fonch and Mike Bignon as well. The more that they can foster that relationship and um, among their attackers and, and develop and use these matches to give them confidence. I mean, Izichi's had, you know, given the injury he suffered last year, he's had a really tough start to life in Lille. And I believe he was the club's record signing when he signed for them. Um, didn't really do much last year because of that injury. Uh, but for him to get a hat-trick, again, I know it's the Europa League. I know it's a diminished opponent. I know it's not a high-level opponent, even if they were playing with 11 men. But what the confidence that's going to do for him, the confidence that's going to do for Akone scoring, who's Akone's had a bit of a tough start to the season, being dropped for Luis Araujo, I, I think that's really important. I think that the Galtier is going to be able to use these Europa League matches to... Give, give his players confidence. Give what's still a fairly young team, aside from the likes of Funch and, and um, Barack Yilmaz, to give them confidence and, and to allow them to, to develop further. And I think that, that that's the sort of thing that he, he needs. I think that looking at this Lille side top to bottom, they have an incredible amount of talent. But the questions might start to crop up. Well, who's going to be unhappy? I mean, Jonathan Coney has been capped for, this, for, for France. Is he going to be happy with a place on the bench? Um, you know, the same. We can say the same thing about you know someone like Sheka, who's I think a really talented player with the ball at his feet, but doesn't doesn't seem to have a place in the team um, behind that central pairing of Andre and Sanchez, who are again strong players. But again, keeping a balance in the side, keeping these keeping these younger players happy, allowing them time to develop without um, totally taking a flyer on these matches is really important. And I think that that's a, a testament to Galtier's ability as a manager um, to do this and to earn results and to, to keep things going. Um, you know, looking forward at the rest of this group, I think that, you know, <laughs> obviously there are bigger tests to come, um, given how given how Milano started the season. Um, you know, and Celtic, again, you know, I, maybe you've seen more of them than the no matches I've seen of them. Mm. Um, and you can, you can speak to that. But Lille are going to have tougher tests to come. So to get this result was important, not only for what it means for the group, but also for the confidence it can imbue in these young players, especially with, you know, what's going to be a fairly challenging match against Nice coming up on the Sunday. I think the good thing about this is you were, you were talking there about squad rotation. I think it just shows that the Lille plan at the moment, you know, the project, you know, they, they recently got an influx of money and you know, they've sold players in the past, like Nicola Pepe as well. It finally starts, it looks as if a team outside of Paris is starting to build a little bit of a unit. You know, you always look at the best teams, the teams at the top, and even their second string side, 
could go and, and win a title in some countries, you know. And you look at this Lille side. I'm not I'm not trying to big them up too much, but I'm just saying that second string side that some of the players that they put out tonight. And if you look at the bench, Zeki Celic, Thiago Diallo sitting on the bench, Adama Samoro, eh, Renato Sanchez, Luis Araujo, Burak Ilmaz as well. These are all players that are very solid, so they can kind of switch and swap and still put out a fairly strong team which is something that I have to criticise a lot of other French teams especially teams that have got to Europe recently you know they have they kind of had that strong first team and then not much behind it and that all really costs them but Lille seem to be putting toward putting together quite an interesting project at the moment and you have to look at the results tonight like I said it's not the most glitzy of, of opponents but you know there's this has been an awful year so let's smile at what we can can't we with this performance um yeah and i have to i have to look at the performance from yusuf yuzitsi as well and just smile because you know so much was said about before he came when he was playing over in turkey and he came over and was very quickly struck by a really awful injury there's a fantastic almost like small documentary uh, on leal's youtube channel i believe there's an english version as well and it's all just about Yuzichi's uh, recovery. And, you know, it shows great footage of of the actual injury of the moment, but just what he did behind the scenes and all the work that you put in to come back from such an awful injury. I believe it was an ACL injury uh, mm-hmm. with Yuzichi. But to put in that much work and come back in and, and score three goals. And I think he's a player that even when he has played in Ligue 1 pre and post injury, he's always impressed me. So I'm, I'm glad to see him kind of have this opportunity and go and score a few goals. Uh, before we finish up the podcast... 4-1 win, that's great. Okay, everyone played quite well. Bibi Casamari played well. Font and Botman, that's great. Yuzichi played well. Jonathan David, I know we keep talking about him, but he had 63 minutes here against a very weak opponent and didn't get a goal, didn't really get involved, didn't get an assist. That's got to be quite frightening because this Jonathan David saga has gone on for a few weeks now and they've invested a lot of money into them, but they're still not getting any sort of, of bang for their buck at the moment, Eric. Again, I think Christophe Gauthier is a fantastic manager. He is not—he's not a, a lone striker. This, and he's continually being misused in this way. Again, his best play in Belgium was playing as as an attacking midfielder in a in a four three one two, or sometimes as a second striker. Um, that doesn't fit the play of the rest of Lille. Uh, tactically, and as a result, he's he's had to struggle in a new league, taking a step up at a young age, but being asked to do something that he's never been asked to do before. I I understand the hype around him and why he was an attractive purchase, given that we've seen you know clubs under under Luis Campos's ages do this sort of thing before, you buy young players and and sell them on, but. I really think the jury has to be out on David uh, until we know, until we can see him play in a way that's more tactically suited to him. And who knows? Maybe with this glut of matches we are going to face over the next few weeks, there could be a chance to get him playing in in, in a role in a tactical role that suits him a little bit better. Um, you know, I I don't know. I, I think that. It, Players at this young of an age, given that pressure, I think it's going to be tough. You know, there could maybe even be an argument made for dropping him just to shield him from this this sort of criticism. I'm not saying criticism on your part, but some of the undue attention that's been focused upon him recently. You know, why not play Jonathan Akone alongside Yilmaz and bring David off the bench? Just bring him along a little bit more slowly, because I feel like the fact that he has been starting all these matches has also increased the focus on him in a way that... I don't think it would have necessarily, again, the money paid for him means he's not going to not be in the spotlight. But just to bring him along a little bit more slowly, I think might be a more prudent approach. Um, I know for a club of wheels means the fact that you're leaving a 25, 30-odd million player on the bench is going to chafe with certain people, uh, certain supporters of the club, I'm sure. But... You know, I think as a young player, perhaps he needs, he, yeah, he needs the right support tactically, and needs to be able to find his place in a way that's going to be comfortable for him. Which I don't think he's been afforded that opportunity to date. 
I, th- I think he's got Burak Yilmaz a lot to thank for because <laughs> it was quite smart management from Lille, you know, bring in someone who's maybe a bit of an unknown quantity to this level of competition, come from Belgium to France, but then alongside him, bring in Burak Yilmaz, who's a player who, you know, he's going to be quality. He's, he's been there, he's kind of done that. He's, what, 33 years old now, and he has done that. You know, he's kind of saved Jonathan David in a lot of the matches that they've played together. Um, but I know what you mean. Uh, David's still got to be given an opportunity. He's 20 years old. He's been bought for 25 million. That money would, would stress out anyone. And to also look that he's a Canadian international, you know, sometimes when players come from generally non-footballing countries, it can kind of be seen that they're the future of their country and they've got to lead them forward. And if they don't play well, the whole country's going to fall apart on a footballing level. So, you know, he's also got that to kind of contend with. Um, but I yeah, I, I believe the kind of David situation has to be taken in a different in a different sense. Uh, but hopefully he just kind of gets that goal and it all kind of starts flowing because all the clips that you saw from coming out of Belgium were just incredible. And he's obviously a player that's got a lot of talent. Uh, and luckily he's playing in a Lille side that's playing very well right now. So he's being allowed to try some things out and, you know, get that experience without the whole team relying on him, which is great. Um, OK, and that wraps us up. If you're looking for more information on all things French football in English, you can check out the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com and you can also find us on Twitter at GFFN. I've been Lois McParlin. I've been joined by Eric Devin for this episode, looking back at all the European action. Uh, I hope you have a really nice weekend and whoever your team's playing, I hope you lose. See you later. <laughs>